Welcome to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, my name is Fraser Allen. Welcome to episode 79. As a boy, Philip Grant entertained the idea of becoming a lumberjack, but when he left school, a different kind of branch career beckoned. Following in his father's footsteps, he went straight into a job with Bank of Scotland and still remembers the first piece of advice from his boss. Never take your jacket off in front of a customer. Modestly, Philip says that much of his early time at the bank was spent fetching scones and pies for older colleagues, but he clearly had talent that was spotted further up the ladder. At the age of 26, he was parachuted into a full-time MBA at the University of Strathclyde and then steadily rose into senior positions, navigating the global banking crisis and the merger between HBOS and Lloyds and now helping the group to steer away through the pandemic crisis, economic gloom and market disruption. Down to earth and a natural communicator, Philip tells his story with great humour and hard-earned insights. Currently Chief Operating Officer for Insurance and Wealth at Lloyds Banking Group, he is also Chair of Scottish Financial Enterprise. A reassuring hand on the tiller, forestry's loss is clearly banking's gain. This interview was recorded on the 4th of February 2022. If you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe to the series? Simply search for Scottish Business Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast platform of your choice. Hello, a very warm welcome to you, Philip. And where do we find you on this chilly Friday morning? Um, I'm at home um, in Bothwell, so um, it's chilly, wet, uh, dark. But anyway, you're going to you're going to brighten my day for the next half hour. Well, I, I hope so. And, and knowing something about your story already. I'm sure you'll brighten the next 30 minutes or so for everyone listening. So let's start by going back in time. Where did you grow up, Philip? What was family life like? And what did you originally dream of doing for a career? Uh, well, I grew up near Glasgow, a little village called Bridge of Weir. Um, I had a very normal, um, very comfortable family life, probably too comfortable, um, actually. Um, two brothers and a sister. Um, and um, I didn't really think too much about what I wanted to do as a career. I sort of meandered through my teenage years. Um, and then sort of adulthood and the real world sort of um, hit me uh, between the eyes. So I didn't really think too much about what I wanted to do. I did have a dalliance with forestry as an idea for some time. And any of you, if this was um, a visual podcast, uh, you would see that from a physical point of view, I would have made a very odd lumberjack because I'm only five foot seven. Um, but I suppose as I sort of near the end of school, accounting was really the thing that I was starting to gravitate towards to and something that my father um, had done. So um, sort of not much imagination there. And so a natural step then in, into banking. So tell us about those early years, because you, you originally began your career in banking in a branch role, I believe. Yeah, no, I, well, actually, I was meant to go and study um, accountancy, but actually I, I decided that I would go and earn some money and um, uh, join Bank of Scotland, uh, where they offered me a job to get some money, get a car and then do other things. But here I am 38 years later, lacking imagination and still there. So I'm rather unusual in that I did join the bank straight from school. Um, and, my, you know, my first manager, uh, Mr. Aitchison, sat me down in my local village branch uh, where I started. Um, and, you know, first thing he told me was, Philip, never take your jacket off in front of a customer. So with guidance like that, um, some of it which has uh, stuck with me, I embarked on my banking career which was very much from the bottom up you know my first six months I spent more time going out and getting scones and pies for the staff uh, than anything else um, but you know I, I look back on that time and I you know it, it shaped me um, it took a, a shy schoolboy who 
couldn't hold a conversation very well um and actually you know i learned a lot about life um um serving customers you know dealing laughing and crying with customers in equal measure um, and learning about myself so um you know um, a grounding and a start in the bank which i look back fondly and i think was an incredibly valuable way of introducing me to the world of work actually were you thinking at that stage at all about how your career may, may develop? Or Fraser, I'm still not thinking about how my career will develop. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I was very fortunate. I um, and these days you uh, you did day release and bank exams and so on. And I, you know, I was fortunate enough to to do well in them early on. And one thing led to another. I remember my manager calling me in and saying. After a year working in Bridge of Weir, he said to me, well, Philip, you're starting to shine, he said, and um, I've been told that you're going to go to the big smoke. So for a, for a moment, I thought I was being sent to London, but actually I was only being sent to Paisley, which was about um, 10 miles away. So uh, all things were relative. But I, I was very fortunate to um, sort of relatively quickly move through the ranks, learning about real banking, the real people in in a sort of, um, complete holistic way that you wouldn't do today um, uh, because th that world um, has, has largely disappeared. Yeah. Sure. And you say the one thing leading to another. I mean, at the age of 26, I believe you, you're offered the chance to study for an MBA full-time at, at university, so, which seems quite a, a big deal, really, I imagine, at that stage of your career. So how did that develop and what did you gain from that experience? Well, firstly, my mother was so relieved because she'd be so disappointed I never went to university. So um, there was a there was a sense of um, um, ultimately um, reaching that prize. I mean, I went I went there relatively insecure. I'd spent you know my whole working life in one organisation um, and had little reference point to my own capability or so on outside of that. So you know, here I was on a full time MBA at Strathclyde, actually, where fifty percent of the students were international. Some of them were were leaving the army after successful careers. Some of them were transitioning um, uh, within, you know, quite successful technical careers to managerial careers. Uh, there was even someone from the Romanian Forestry Service there. So it, it was a real broad mix. But actually, in the course of one year, um, again, I learned so much about myself. And I think my whole career has been opportunities which have been given to me to learn about myself. Um, so when I look back on these times, uh, or that year in particular, it does feel a bit like an inflection point, but not because I learned a lot academically, but I certainly tested myself. I got more confident in my own ability. I suddenly started to recognise that actually um, my judgment um, and how I could perform actually sort of start, you know, met most tests that were placed for me against this very broad group of people that I spent a year with. Um, and at the end of it, when I went back to the bank, I, you know, I went back to a very different part of the bank. I went into corporate and structured finance. So again, I started to learn again. So again, back to that steps of learning just through my career. So it, it was, it was, as I said earlier, a bit of an inflection point for me and a big learning experience. I imagine you hit it off well with the Romanian forestry chap. Yeah, well, but I only had one story, really, which was I once thought of being a forester when I was at school. After that, I ran out of forestry anecdotes, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so, obviously, your career really was taking off. And uh, we're going to fast forward a bit now to the to the time of the global banking crisis, at which point you were chief operating officer at, at HBOS. So, how do you look back on that now? I mean, the, the world's going through another huge crisis. Um, how do you look back on, on that one? And, and again, what do you kind of draw from that experience? 
Yeah, well, I, it was actually, I was um, Chief Operating Officer of the Corporate Bank and I was parachuted in there in April 08. I'd been five years in the Retail Bank, on the Executive Committee of the Retail Bank, running a whole range of businesses there. So, um, it, I, you know, it was a, an incredibly intense period um, uh, within an organisation that was very stressed um, through that period, April 08 through to January 09, when I then was appointed as a CEO of the Wholesale Bank and Lloyds Banking Group. Um, I think I, I learned a lot, um, um, I, I think, equally about organisational behaviour and behaviour in very stressed situations. I, I learned that from others and also myself. But to your point about actually relating it to events of our time, um, I mean, I, I think I learned at that point and always carried it with me that nothing was improbable, um, really. Um, and I think most people reflect on the last two two years and and, uh, and and probably agree with me. I think also events can very quickly overtake an organisation um, in that, um, particularly after a long period of stability, things become very settled and stayed. And um, you know, peripheral vision often narrows, and um, uh, you know, um, events through that period, which started in financial services, but then spread out very quickly into the broader economy within you know 12 to 18 months, um, just weren't foreseen you know 12 months before. So I think I've always carried that sort of sense that um, you know nothing's improbable. Uh, you need to be incredibly flexible. Um, you need to. I, I, I have a healthy scepticism, and by that, scepticism is often used in a way that says it's a sort of negative response or emotion. But actually, I, I think to be naturally sceptical, uh, I see as just a questioning. You know, it's not challenging something; it's just just being uh, uncertain that what's presented with you, to you as certainty or that things will be stable for the future might not be the case. So again. Another huge um, uh, learning process that I think hopefully has served me well, um, certainly in the last couple of years and around similar sorts of um, big disruptions. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of your career developing since then, um, you're now chair of the, the group's Scottish Executive Committee and Chief Operating Officer for Insurance and Wealth. Yes. Um, how, how did... You know what has happened over those ten years in terms of your, your career, and what do those roles involve? Um, well, my day job today is um, is leading all the operational activities of you know quite a large division that will um, you know goes everywhere from you know Scottish Widows, which most people listening will be aware of, all the way through to you know we've just made a a, a new acquisition of a a business that's um, got a big presence in Dundee, Embark, um, a new uh, platform business that's uh, joining us and, you know, home insurance, protection, critical illness, all these businesses. So it's it's responsible for, you know, 4,000 um, colleagues um, across the UK delivering that service every day. It's responsible for overseeing the change, uh, the risk management of that business, maintaining it in a controlled way, meeting customers' expectations, ensuring we make the right investments. And then the Scottish executive side is really recognising that, we, I mean, we are a large employer in Scotland, we're the largest financial services employer in Scotland, and also 20% of our colleagues at group level across the UK are based in Scotland, so we're, we're disproportionately weighted towards Scotland. So Scotland's important to us and we're important to Scotland, and I think the, as, I think, you know, there's, there's, there are certain 
uh, things about Scotland that require, um, you know, both our customer base, our customer needs, and also our engagement with stakeholders that requires um, a very particular focus and understanding and, you know, a presentation of, of that and an engagement with that. And so I lead a, a group of, you know, great senior colleagues here in Scotland um, who are responsible for uh, both the business here and its impact on, you know, communities and, and our customers across Scotland. So, you know, I thoroughly enjoy that. You know, uh, um, part of it is ensuring that the identity of Bank of Scotland also is very aligned with the group identity and that everything that the group aspires to achieve is actually experienced here in Scotland. So it, it, it gives me a far broader um, um, reach and perspective uh, within the group than I would have if I was just um, on, on my day job as such. And talking of having a broader reach and perspective, you're very much very well externally networked. I mean, you're a former chair of the Chartered Institute of Banking. You've been heavily involved in organisations such as the CBI, the First Minister's Advisory Board on Financial Services, and you're now chair of Scottish Financial Enterprise. So, Philip, what's the attraction of, of playing a part in these bodies? And again, what have you learned from the experience? Um I mean, I think it's just a natural evolution in terms of um, uh, my experience and uh, just finding different places to rest, uh, really. Um, I think, to be honest, that also um, uh, I, I find personally it sort of enriches my ability to um, continue to learn from others, to see different businesses, different models, and to understand from an external perspective just how important financial services is. Um, it's also just, you know, you make you make and deepen a good network of friends and so on across the industry that if you stayed in the bubble of your own business, um, you wouldn't um, have um, access to. So, I, you know, I, I, I think also lots of people talk about the impact of the sector of their business. There's a, yeah, um, I, I'm very much of the mindset that get involved and start doing things, start trying to develop initiatives. So, for instance, the the, um, the Chartered Banker Institute was all about, you know, I chaired the education committee there for, for a number of years and then ultimately went on to president. Um, and it was all about professional development, professional education. Um, and and you know, um, and modernising that. Um, and today with Scottish financial enterprise, it's all about recognising that this is a major sector for the Scottish economy uh, that's changing rapidly in a global world, um, and that there are, there are lots of aligned um, uh, uh, opportunities where in working together, developing the ecosystem in Scotland um, for financial services is good for individual firms as well as the sector as well as the economy. Um, and I've, you know, I'm I'm just part of a team of great, you know, dedicated colleagues from a whole range of firms, over a hundred members, including you know small fintech firms, right, all the way up to international businesses, um, who are working together collaboratively on you know matters of sort of shared interest, um, you know, climate, you know, skills, employability, um, financial inclusion, and these are all things where. Uh, I've got this mental model in my head that our sector in the past has used very small hammers to hit and small nails, lots of them. I think um, I think there's a sense that acting much more collectively, you know, you have bigger hammer, bigger nail, you get in, you you can you can have an impact, and that's certainly um, one of the themes that I've tried to take into these external um, appointments. Um, and it's not all just about that, you know. There are some tough messages um, that that you know. Um, 
uh, we get at times about the performance of financial services, and it's important that we listen, understand, and are accessible and available. So an example of that would be, you know, through the COVID period, in the early days of the COVID period, there was, a, you know, there was a, a concern, an understandable one, would banks support their customers? And I think, you know, facing that head on and making himself available to any stakeholder, trade associations, politicians, and so on, uh, to both rehearse that, uh, to give them comfort that what we were doing day to day, but also if they did have any genuine concerns about specific customers or, you know, initiatives, then we could, you know, listen, change, adjust if, if, if required. Um, so I would encourage anyone out there in any form business life, if, you know, if you have the um, the opportunity, then it is incredibly helpful and enriching to just step outside the bubble sometimes and, um, and you know, to engage with your wider industry and sector. Well, certainly plenty to keep you thinking at the moment, uh, a challenging time, uh, both in terms of your, your Lloyd's role and, and your uh, Scottish financial financial enterprise one because we've been talking a lot about emerging from the pandemic crisis but now there's a lot of other challenges as well in terms of the economy um a lot of your customers potentially facing a difficult year in terms of you know electricity prices and all that, all that kind of thing so uh, Philip, in, in terms of both your lloyd's banking group role and scottish financial enterprise what do you see as the, the key kind of challenges and opportunities for the year ahead um, I think, I think, I think, in the immediate short term at the moment, it's day to day for our customers. It's about recovery, um, and you're absolutely right, Fraser. It feels in the last couple of weeks, doesn't it? But back to this bit about nothing's improbable. That the fundamentals of people's day to day experience of the economy seems to be running away from us, and, and almost as you and I are speaking today on the back of, you know quite extraordinary potential changes in fuel prices and so on. Back to that, nothing is improbable. Um, and there is, you know, um, some of our customers will require some specific support through this period. And um, just as we, I talked about earlier on in small businesses. So supporting financial recovery from a ensuring customers feel that they can continue to be financially resilient is a, is a big part um, of what we are resourced for across all the banks. And beyond that as well, you know, insurers and, and, and other financial services um, firms um, as well. So, uh, and then there's the, 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 you know, I think we've been very pleasantly surprised by the resilience of, you know, the SME part of the economy and the corporate part of the economy in the last 18, 24 months. But we still have a very close watching brief uh, on that part of the economy uh, not being complacent that there may be some lingering impacts. You know, we've got Brexit, we've got supply chain issues. Um, uh, and interest rates increasing in of itself represents a challenge. So it does feel there's an awful lot of issues getting through a very narrow gap at the moment. So recovery in the economy. Beyond that, definitely um, journey to net zero and sustainability, huge focus on identifying where we can be part of the structural changes that are required um, you know, Lloyds Banking Group, the largest uh, mortgage provider in the UK, so funding more homes than anyone else. Um, in my area of the business, you know, a big home insurance business that deals with the consequences of climate today, you know, when um, flooding um, and extreme weather um, events, Scottish widows investing our customers' pension monies for the long term in a sustainable way. Um, um, you know, they were the largest provider of funding for um, electric vehicles through our Lex um, leasing business. So we have um, a place in 
each of these areas or that require structural change that gives us a role to and a responsibility to enable that by being innovative in the way we think about our products, innovative a way about thinking about the flexibility that our customers may need um, over time, and even through into areas you know where we're one of the largest funders of agriculture, for instance, um, in the UK, and I think people are starting to learn that that's a sector that has some real challenges around climate change that probably weren't evident a couple of years ago, but are going to require um, some innovative thinking and support. Um, so, so, so there are two things that sort of leap out, um, I think, as immediate priorities for the next, you know, 12 to 24 months, and not just for Lloyd's Banking Group. I think generally for financial services in the broader sense. So clearly, the UK has been through huge disruption with the pandemic crisis and then other factors such as Brexit, which you, you mentioned. Um, now, as a, as a Scot working for an organisation that has a very strong Scottish heritage and uh, indeed Lloyds Banking Group remains registered in Scotland, what, what is your take on the SNP's continued push for another independence referendum? Uh, well, from a from a formal point of view and you know personal point of view, the, the you know the, the future of Scotland, its constitution is you know it's a political matter and one for the people of Scotland. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. Scotland, as I said earlier, is important to us, um, a big part of our business, and will continue to be so. So whatever the conditions prevailing, um, um, either economically or constitutionally, our priority will be to support to develop our business here and to support our customers. Um, and I think the one thing I would say, um, uh, if you have time, we have a museum um, under our building in the mound, which is free, um, and um, uh, I would encourage people to visit it. But in there, there's a 320-plus year history of our business um, in Scotland um, in supporting communities through, you know, war, peace, feast, famine. Um, and in many ways, it's a sort of social economic history of uh, Scotland. So back to my back to the identity piece in Scotland. I mean, at the heart of uh, my thinking about that is I'm pretty confident that Lloyd's Banking Group is committed um, to exercising continued flexibility to whatever um, the um, national and economic circumstances are to do the very best for our customers, as we have done over that uh, sort of 300 and odd year history. Great. Now, given um, your external networking, not not just in the UK, but potentially, I think, beyond. What, what's you, how do you think Scotland PLC is perceived in the rest of the world? And do you think we could be doing more to talk ourselves up? Um, you can always do more um, because, the, you know, the, um, uh, this, you, communication needs to be frequent, um, but it also needs to be experienced. So, I mean, Scotland's done very well in recent years around inward investment. Um, and that's, you know, um, even in, uh, it's not so much inward investment, but look at the new Barclays campus, for instance, in Glasgow. So there's evidence that financial services continues to invest um, here in Scotland, and there's still some international firms and you know, very strong emerging fintech sector here in Scotland as well uh, to be proud of and to support. Um, but we shouldn't be complacent. Um, uh, and there's a lot more to do in terms of back to that point about ensuring we've got the right ecosystem and infrastructure here. So um, you know, if we were speaking three years ago, I would be, you and I wouldn't even touch on the need for high quality residential um, digital broadband services. And yet our whole industry relies on it today to deliver services to our customers. Um, that's a small example of how suddenly infrastructure became incredibly important. 
Um, but also, I think we um, in Scottish financial enterprise, uh, we've also been doing a lot of work around looking at what makes a strong second um, city type financial services market. We're never going to be bigger than London. So go around the world and, you know, um, where are the, 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 the geographies where they have a very strong financial centre, but actually there's 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 a there's a second one in the country. And that and, and actually that's a good way of thinking about how you optimize what it is about your economy. And I think there's a real transition in that. Um, you know, we we, we um 10, 20 years ago we attracted scale employment in large sites. Um and nowadays it's all about skills, integration with you know education, um, innovation. Um, and flexibility. So, it, you know, a, a, a lot more to do. But I would say, I think it's, to be honest, Fraser, I, I think it, I'd, I'd rather people thought it's 20% communication, 80% initiative and activity. Um, if if we think it's the other way around, I'm afraid um, we'll see a decline um, in right. how Scotland and our industry in particular is perceived globally. Great. Something I always like to ask people in these interviews Philip, if you could give one piece of advice to the young Philip Grant leaving school, what would it be? Uh, you were right. You're probably not. You were. You were. You were right about forestry. It probably wasn't the uh, right thing for you. Um, but I, I think generally, a bit of personal advice is invest in supporting others. I mean, I, I mean, it sounds so glib, but when I reflect on even today, day to day. Uh, the return you get over time opens up your career and options and makes things easier. Um, and I, in the early part of your career, it's difficult to, it's easy to overlook that. Um, but actually, um, because you, you do feel supported by others. But I found over the years that the dividend you get of being available to support and help colleagues um, and reach out to colleagues pays back in buckets and spades uh, um, over the over the years. Um, uh, for, you know, on, in terms of a dividend from that. So that uh, that's a bit of advice I would give to myself, and to be honest, to my kids and to anyone else that that was vaguely interested. Great advice. And uh, we're going to finish now with five quick questions. Are you ready for this? What's the first record you ever bought? Um, Dare by Human League, um, which ages me. <laughs> yeah, I think we're the same vintage. I remember that well. If you hadn't chosen banking, what would you be doing now? Um, oh, I'd, probably, I'd probably be an accountant or something <laughs> equally unimaginative. So. What is your signature dish in the kitchen? Well, it, it has to only ha have one dish involved, so it would tend to probably be chicken thighs plus a whole load of other stuff. But and I am um, so and it, that's about as technical as it gets. So I would say. <laughs> well, that's good, good hearty fare for a, a winter's evening. What does your perfect weekend look like? Um, I'll probably cut the things. I, I mean, I'm a, a big motorbike, motorsport fan, so it's probably tinkering in a workshop with. Um, um, some classic motorcycles I've got, but actually probably um, because my wife may be listening to this, uh, we're fortunate enough to have a, a house up in Sky and we enjoy uh, walking. So it'd probably be a weekend spend in Sky, uh, taking time to get some fresh air uh, with a waterproof on, obviously walking in Sky. Uh, and finally, who's your hero? I think from a motorsport point of view, um, someone called Jim Clark, who was the most unassuming, unaffected farmer from Duns and the Borders, um, but who was absolutely world class. He was the Formula One world champion in 1963 and 65. He won the Indy 500 in the US in 65 as well. 
Um, he had a Grand Prix win ratio of 25 from 73 that Lewis Hamilton has only just beat, and he was unfortunately killed in 1968. But he was world class, an unassuming man, and a very proud Scot. So uh, I've I've always um, had a real interest in him and his story. Philip, it's been really great uh, listening to you and getting a, a feel for your, your, your career and interests. Thank you very much. Thank you, Fraser. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks very much to Philip for giving us his time during a very busy schedule. I hope you enjoyed it and I'll be back with another episode soon. Bye for now. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.